0: Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you
1: belong here. Friends, as we continue our series on the Beatitudes, Blessed Are They, our reading again comes from the Gospel according to Matthew. I have to admit that sometimes Matthew is a hard Gospel to Read, I'll let you know a a secret, it's not my favorite, it's not my favorite one. Um, It's direct, and it is at times a bit unsettling. It's not the first one to be written, not the first gospel to appear. The earliest documents in the New Testament are actually Paul's epistles. Scholarly consensus tells us that the gospel according to Mark was the first to appear around 70 AD, and most scholars agree that both Luke and Matthew, appearing in about 85 to 90 CE, utilized Mark as a source document. Yet, while Matthew is not the first to be written, in our Bible, Matthew is the first gospel presented. In fact, I can tell you that Matthew was the favorite gospel of the early church, always appearing in various lists at the top of that list. In a way, you see, Mark is uh, something that, I mean, Matthew is something that sets the stage for the rest of the Gospel accounts. It is the most quoted of the Gospels by the early church fathers of the first five centuries. And it is, I think, because it is laced with a series of teaching discourses. Um, These discourses touch upon almost every aspect of religious life. The author of Matthew seems to lean into this idea that faith and ethics intersect. Indeed, even within the Beatitudes themselves, when we hear that we are blessed, we should hear a sense of promise as well as a sense of responsibility. So hear now this verse from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, verse 4, and verse 4, with a supporting verse from the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
0: Teach me the ancient ways. Teach me the ancient ways. No, I won't miss. The path that you gave, no, I won't miss the road that you made, I won't forget your ways.
2: Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Context matters here a lot. I wonder where your mind goes when you hear these words. Where does your experience take you? Mine takes me back to remember a mother who crumbled in my arms when I was a chaplain. A mother who had left her child in a crib earlier that day playing with a sitter only to hear that her child had died of SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, just three hours later. Outside of the emergency room together, we slid to the floor, the gravity of grief pulling us down, and we wept. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I hear this scripture and I go right back to the counseling room sitting across from a woman whose husband had just gone missing. I remember her shaking and shuffling, trying to make her way to the chair, the emptiness in her eyes, trying to steady herself, hearing her children playing outside. She was unable to really process much of anything at all or describe the events happening in her life or her husband's life that had led to that day, except that she could tell me what he had for breakfast that morning and how she wished she had taken the time to make him eggs rather than insist that he eat cereal. It was her biggest regret in that moment. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I haven't taken a poll, but I'm guessing that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted may not always bring comfort to people who are holding on to the shards of life. And for the time that we have here together today, I'd like us to agree that we will not take a mourning-makes-us-stronger approach. In these moments of life, whether we feel it or not, it's the promise of comfort that we all cling to. It's the just-enough crumb of hope to sustain us through the depth of suffering. People of cross-all faith traditions and spiritual practices And even those on the edges of doubt and disbelief want comfort. We all do. It's human. It's a basic need and desire. It's why we have prayers in the bulletin and a care ministry and make casseroles because we care and we want to do something. We are able to hold hope for one another even if we can't quite claim it for ourselves. Now, there are many people I've known on the edge of life, people who felt like they lost the words to pray somewhere along the way, or felt they weren't good enough with words or good enough people for any of it to matter. Many gave up talking to God, which is really all prayer is. But in their moment of need, those same people wanted to believe that comfort was coming. So they would ask people to pray for them. They wanted to believe that help was on the way. And if you've ever watched someone you love ache in a way that no words can seem to touch, You know that comfort isn't like a spiritual band-aid or a magic wand that we can just wave around and suddenly, ta-da, everything gets better. It doesn't work that way, even if we wish it did. Blessings are kind of strange. Now, where I grew up in South Carolina... You could hear a bless your heart, and it could mean a lot of different things based on who was speaking the words. You couldn't always tell if it was a blessing or a curse. (laughs) The the same thing is kind of true in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew gives a high priority to these blessings of Jesus in the Beatitudes, also known as the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, all of which we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. The Beatitudes offer us a language that speaks to this strange mix of the awful and the divine experience, the both and of our lives, and the multiple truths of the beautiful and messy part of our everyday reality in God's presence with us. Dr. Alan Wolfelt is a death educator, clinician, and the director of the Center for Loss and Life Transition in Fort Collins. And he writes this, our capacity to love requires the necessity to mourn. To deny the significance of mourning would be to believe that there is something wrong about loving. And our greatest gift from God is our capacity to love. Friends, grief and mourning are a natural and normal response to loss. It's not a lack or a failure of faith. We grieve and we mourn things and people we love. As a pastor and as a therapist, I have had the sacred privilege of walking alongside of many people during the worst times of their lives. When we face moments of trauma and tragedy, grief and loss, blessing is not usually where people start in describing their loss. Some may wonder even when bad things happen, are they being punished? Is God doing this to them? This transactional way of looking at the Beatitudes or this particular one, moving mourning from the loss side of the ledger to the gain side and asking those who suffer to view their hardships as blessings is a really big ask. And I don't think that's what Jesus is after here. Psychologist and author John Wellwood coined the term spiritual bypass as a tendency to turn away from what is difficult, painful, unpleasant, and use spiritual ideas and beliefs to avoid and explain away our pain. Now, that isn't to say that we can't use our faith to draw strength from. In fact, it is a protective factor, and we need it in our hardest moments. But what can lead to spiritual bypassing and what we often do with the best of intentions as people of faith is to want to rush in and comfort those who are mourning with phrases like, God needed another angel. Or God has this. Just pray about it. Don't worry. Which sometimes can do more harm. And explain away the real pain and the rawness of that pain. In moments of deep, deep mourning, what is often most needed is our very presence to grieve with those who grieve, to mourn with those who mourn, to be a witness to the suffering of others without any sort of quick fix. As tempting as it is to make this passage, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, imply that God will take away our mourning, hopefully sooner rather than later. This verse goes more and deeper than a platitude. In it, we hear a commitment from Jesus that God will indeed be with us in the depth of our mourning and comfort will come but so will mourning. And I tend to take Jesus at his word here. Now, it's understandable to hear the Beatitudes and relate the Beatitudes to our own life experience, especially this one. Blessed are those who mourn. Grief is a shared and a universal experience. No one is exempt. We want a God to be nearer and with us, present in our times of suffering. But there is an important distinction here that cannot be missed. Grief and mourning are two different things. Grief is the internal experience of loss and transition. And mourning is the outward expression of grief. Think about it this way. Grief is what we feel when we experience a loss. And mourning is what we do with it. So while we may find personal comfort in a relational God, in this second beatitude, Jesus is also speaking to a mourning, a suffering beyond ourselves, a suffering in a world filled with injustice, exploitation, pain, violence, The Beatitudes, if we look at them in their entirety, speak to a mourning incurred in the conditions in a world that is so far away from God's purpose. And to a God that longs and mourns with us, a God that mourns injustice and violence and exploitation too. As Rev. Jerry mentioned in the intro to the scripture, it's important to remember that Matthew is writing in a political context to a people who have been in exile, who share a collective mourning beyond the individual mourning, a mourning that we all face at some time or another in our lives. Echoing back to the Old Testament prophets of Micah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, prophets who lamented the condition of the world. Matthew suggests that we don't have to accept this reality. So I wanna invite you now to imagine the scene with me. There's a large crowd, a large crowd of marginalized people gathered. The sick, the paralyzed, the formerly incarcerated, the addicted, the poor, all around Jesus, mixed in with the disciples, the doubters, the curious, the skeptics. Jesus looks across this crowd with love and compassion to the very people that have been beat down and kept down by society. And Jesus says, you are blessed. And then he says to the others, especially the ones on the top of the hillside, maybe who, who felt like they were on the margins, who felt like maybe they didn't even fit, who felt like maybe they didn't even belong and, and weren't sure if they would be welcome. He says, oh, wait, you, you are who on the farthest edges up there. You are blessed too. You belong. Come on, come on. And then I don't know how it happened. I really don't. But there was something so powerful about those words that day that that made their way here to me, to you, that transposed across generations. Past the hurts and harms of the world to us here today. That broke our hearts open too and met us in our pain in the needs and longings of this world. The hurts and harms and injustices happening here in our community. That said, you too will be blessed. And blessed are you who mourn for you too will be comforted. You may know the quote. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justice now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Many of us understand how to show up for people in times of grief. But it's so much harder to truly show up and mourn with a world in pain. How do we not become paralyzed by the suffering all around us? Where do we start? How do we even know what to do to make a drop in the bucket? One of my favorite translations of this verse reads this way. Blessed are those who can enter into solidarity with the pain of the world and not try to extract themselves from it, for there they too will find comfort and solidarity. Friends, we are called to mourn with God and with all who suffer, and we too are promised comfort and community. In fact, the very Aramaic word in this translation means to be made strong. So we're not just comforted, we're actually strengthened when we are with one another. We see this in Judaism. When it comes to time to say Kaddish, the the prayer ritual that mourners recite during the bereavement period to mark the anniversary of a death of a loved one. There must be at least 10 people present because mourning is understood to be a communal experience. So you can't just have one person or the grieving person show up. There has to be a whole community show up, 10 people show up for the ritual to take place because mourning happens in community and no one is left to stand alone. Now I've spent a good deal of time this week reflecting on mourning, that outward exp- expression of grief, and in particular what it looks like in community and in solidarity with others. Cornell West said that justice is what love looks like in public, and I've I've wondered what mourning looks like in public too. I've thought about the times and places where justice is involved and where I've been involved in public acts of mourning, not in performative or hollow ways, but in places where violence has rocked the community and where communities have been transformed, places where the community itself has come together to express mourning and collective grief and then to act. I think about how the homeless community has taught me a lot about this in honoring unnamed people. I think about a place I know in Baltimore where a community memorial garden was built in memory of a people murdered with guns in a city with more than 300 shootings each year. Annually, moms and children and widows and neighbors gather to paint rocks and name names and collectively grieve and remember and organize. And for you, maybe it's just down the road at Columbine that you gather, or at STEM, or at Mother Emmanuel AME Church. Maybe there are other places around the world that come to mind for you. What these places share is more than just a individual grief, or stories of grief, or the sum of individual griefs, but a collective mourning. They tell the stories of our communities, places that we lament, places of solidarity. Admittedly, up until a few days ago, I had been thinking of other places, not of St. Andrew United Methodist Church. But now my heart is here, with you, and those who are on the edges of our community and beyond our walls. On Thursday of this week, our space was violated. Our pride banner and our patio were vandalized in a hateful and harmful act of aggression against our witness and our welcome. This is no means the first time that St. Andrew has experienced the cost of being a voice for justice. Our commitment remains to be a church where all are welcome and to invite others to experience the love and grace of God. Friends, this is more than a slogan. This is more than what we say in our welcome. On a Sunday morning. This is more than what we put on a banner. It's what we say in our baptismal vows. It's what we say in our communion liturgy. Our welcome is really the heart of being the church. It's why we exist. At St. Andrew it looks like why we serve our neighbors, why we do big serve, It looks like our food pantry. It looks like why we paint homes and welcome immigrant families. It looks like why we host families experiencing homelessness. It looks like why we started a social justice council to align our faith and our values. It looks like why we teach anti-racism classes and our youth go on mission trips. It looks like why we celebrate with our LGBTQ siblings for Pride Month. So today we mourn and tomorrow we act. For we are comforted by a loving God and act as children of God who seek to transform hate with love and find strength in our faith and solidarity in our community of faith. Blessed are they who mourn, for we shall be comforted. There is no doubt that God is in the tears of our world. What I know is that hurt people hurt people. It's not an excuse, but it's a reality. What I know is that we exist to love and serve. Richard Rohr says that tears from God are always for everyone. And I believe that. I believe that tears are the sacrament of the presence of God in our lives and of everyone's lives. And my hope is that our tears, our mourning, turns us to action and brings us closer to ourselves, to the world, and to God. One of the most helpful things any of us can have in the midst of our suffering and times of mourning is the solidarity and the support of those who wish they could say and do more. There is comfort found in the presence and solidarity of those who have suffered themselves and have a particular ability to listen from their own experience. You should know there have been incredible acts of solidarity in the kindness of strangers who have showed up and scrubbed our sidewalks and sent endless messages of support. One person said to me, the harmful action of someone in pain will never drown out all the good happening here. Another person from Castle Rock stopped by with her kid. She attends a Lutheran church, going through the reconciling process, and came to our ally class last week to learn. She showed up to mourn, to act, to scrub away the harm, and to replace it with love. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Friends, there is no doubt that God is with us. God is with all those who mourn. There will be days when all we can do is mourn. Mourn the acts of hatred and oppression that occur in the world all around us. Each mass shooting, each harmful piece of dehumanizing legislation, each Hurtful word, bullying act, and comment on Facebook. Each of which can leave us feeling overwhelmed and jaded and doubtful in our ability as people of faith to confront the challenges before us. But we mourn in community, and we are promised that God is with us and we are not alone. We mourn and we act. This is the work of welcoming this is the work of being the church. It's the work of justice, and it's never done. The Beatitudes give us, give us the audacity to hope that words like justice and comfort and mercy and peace, that they're more than just descriptives of a one-day world. We can choose to act, to mourn in the here and now. It is our hope that allows us to take these steps forward. As an Easter people, hate will never have the last word. Otherwise, our story would have ended on Good Friday. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. May we find comfort in a God who welcomes. May we be known by how we love. May we be known by how we welcome. Our takeaways for today are simply this. Our capacity to love requires the necessity to mourn. Grief and mourning are two different things. In the paradox of mourning, we find the audacity to hope and the comfort of a God who is with us. Will you pray with me? Generous and ever faithful God, You have spoken to us through your inspired word. Grant us grace not to be mere hearers of your word, but doers also. Guide us from here by the light of your Spirit, that we might believe and act on what has been revealed to us today as we go forth. Amen.
0: Dear blessed creator, dear mother, dear savior, dear father, dear brother, dear holy other, dear sibling, dear baby, dear patiently waiting, dear sad and confused, dear stuck and abused, dear end of your rope, dear worn out and broke, dear go it alone. Dear running from home Dear righteously angry Forsaken by family Dear jaded and quiet Dear tough and defiant I pray That I'm hurt And I pray That this works. I pray if a prayer has been used as a sword against you and your heart, against you and your word, I pray that this prayer is a plowshare of sorts, that it might break you open, it might help you grow. I pray that your body gets all that it needs. And if you don't want healing, I just pray for peace. I pray that your burden gets lighter each day. I pray the mean voice in your head goes away. I pray that you honor the grief as it comes. I pray that you feel all the life in your lungs. I pray that if you go feeling brave, that you can go home, go to bed feeling safe. I pray you're forgiven, I pray you forgive, I pray you set boundaries and openly live. I pray that you feel that you're worth never leaving, I pray that you know I will always believe you, I pray. that you're heard. And I pray that this works. Amen, on behalf of the last and the least, on behalf of the anxious, depressed and unseen Amen for the workers, the hungry, the houseless Amen for the lonely and recently spouseless Amen for the queers and their closeted peers Amen for the bullies who hold back their tears Amen for the mothers of little black sons. Amen for the kids who grow up scared of guns. Amen for the addicts, the ashamed and hungover. Amen for the callous, the wise and sober. Amen for the ones who are life to be over. Amen for the leaders who their composure Amen for the parents who just lost their baby Amen for the chronically ill and disabled. Amen for the children who long to cross borders Amen for those struggling without law and order. I pray that you're her. And I pray that this works. I pray if a prayer has been used as a sword against you and your heart, against you and your word. I pray that this prayer is a plowshare of sword.